0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It is time for a classic episode. This episode, originally published on October 28, 2013, it is titled, Tech Stuff Shines Light on Solar Panels. So we get down to the the technology of solar power and how it all works and, you know, whether or not it makes sense. It doesn't make sense for everybody, as it turns out. But let's listen in on this classic episode. You know what? It's been a while since we've done a, an episode about solar panels.
1: Yeah, uh, since August 2011, I believe, in fact, back when Chris Paulette was on the show.
0: Yep. So we did an episode back then, and we thought we would update it. So here's the update. We're going to start off with a little bit of background on how those solar panels actually work. Your basic solar panels tend to be made out of silicon.
1: Right. And the doped
0: silicon. Doped silicon, yeah.
1: Impure, purposefully
0: impure silicon. Right. That silicon is dope, yo. So, uh, and there's another, oh, I got the hands over the face this time, guys. Awesome. That's a, <laughs> that's a pure win. No, okay. So silicon, the reason why we're using silicon in solar panels is that, uh, you know, if you remember your illustrations of, of, atoms, they have the electron shells on the outside of the atom, and those electron shells can hold a certain number of electrons, depending upon what, which energy shell you're talking about. Now, silicon has some free electrons in its outermost shell, meaning that not every single space that can hold an electron has an electron. And when I say space, I just mean the number of electrons that can inhabit that outer shell. Uh, since they're, they are free, then silicon can bond with something else like other silicon atoms. So if you can have it bond with lots of silicon atoms, you then create a silicon crystal. If you then bombard this silicon crystal that has been doped in various ways, either with ions that have a negative charge or ions that have a positive charge, uh, you can then induce electrons to flow. Now, in our article on howstuffworks.com about how solar panels work, there's a an helpful analogy there, right? It's about uh, kind of talking about hills,
1: Oh, right. It's saying that essentially when, when you create when you create one of these cells with a with a negative side and a positive side, it's going to create an electron flow that's downhill.
0: Right. Meaning that, like, if you were to have a rock and you pushed it down the hill, it would roll down the hill, but it wouldn't roll back up the hill. There, there'd there be that blocking mechanism to keep it from going up the hill uh, The in the case of silicon based solar cells. The photon is kind of that initial push that gets the rock rolling. So if the photon is strong enough to push the rock and get it moving, everything's cool. You're actually you're gathering uh, energy through solar power. So the the photon hits the silicon crystals that are doped, so that you're you, it's not just a pure silicon crystal all the way through. Uh, that gives energy to allow electrons to break clear of what is called the band gap. That allows the electrons to break free of their bonds and flow through a pathway. Now, they want to get to the negatively charged electrons want to get to a more positively charged environment. But if you have a barrier there so that they can't just cross over, they, you know, the, you get this potential energy, but you don't have any real energy. But if you make a pathway from negative to positive, then the electrons will travel that pathway to get to that positive side, because that's really where they want to be, because that's, that's the awesome place for them. And if you make them do work along the way, you get a benefit from it. Right. So, like, that work might be lighting a light bulb, or it might be opening the doors on the Enterprise. I've been reading a lot about Star Trek recently. Um, anyway, the work could be whatever you could imagine in an electronic circuit and the electrons are going to go and do it because it means they get to be on the positive party on the other side. It's just like me. If you tell me there's a positive party on the other side, I'm willing to do a lot of work to get there. I'm not on a lot of lists. Anyway, so this is the basic premise of a solar panel. You have the the photons providing the initial energy. Now, not all photons are created equally. We have lots of different uh, frequencies of light.
1: Right, and so some photons have a really low amount of energy and are only going to be able to excite certain types of electrons. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe they can excite an electron if they don't have enough energy to equal what that band gap energy is. Then they're not going to have the push needed to get the electron to break free.
1: They might, in fact, flow right past that electron, right. which will come in handy later on. Yeah. Um, uh, but but high energy high energy photons can either. Uh, at a certain point, no matter how much energy it has, you can't you're, you're going to lose a little bit if uh, if, yeah. if it's got it, more than it needs.
0: Right. Yeah. So, for example, the the example I used in the old podcast, if you want to go back and listen to that, is that let's say that I'm capable of lifting one hundred ten pounds. I'm actually able to lift more than that. Just letting you know, but for the purposes of this example, 110 pounds is my limit. If you if you put a hundred pound weight in front of me, no problem, I can lift it up. If you put two 100 pound weights in front of me, I can lift one or the other, but not both at the same time. However, you know, you, you sit there and you look at that from an energy perspective. I'm capable of lifting 110 pounds. I lift a hundred pound weight. That means 10 pounds of my lifting power are going to waste. Mm-hmm. I can't. It's not being utilized. I'm not capturing it in some useful way.
1: And in in the case of traditional photovoltaics, if Jonathan were that photon and you put two 50 pound weights in front of him, he wouldn't be able to lift them both. Only one.
0: Yeah. So we have to that. This is where we're starting to get into some of the challenges that we face with solar power. The, the big one there is efficiency. Uh, m- maximizing efficiency in solar panels is no easy task. And in fact, it's something that we've seen if you were to look at it from a big picture perspective, it looks like really minor increases over the last couple of decades. But in fact, every tiny increase means that you get quite a bit of return on your investment simply because when we're talking about solar panels, we're usually talking about big arrays of solar panels where you know, a little improvement means a lot of output in the, in the long run.
1: And they've been so inefficient, uh, you know, generally about five to 25 percent of the potential energy of the sun is captured by them.
0: In fact, uh, according to some sources, your typical commercial solar cell will get you about a 19% return. So 19% of all the potential energy you could be gathering based upon the photons that hit that panel is what you're actually capitalizing on.
1: Right. The theoretical maximum for silicon wafer cells is about 50% efficiency.
0: Right. We just... Don't get there. In fact, the, e-
1: the the current world world record in a lab is only 44.7% efficiency reached uh, just this year by uh, German and French researchers with a four junction cell and, and more on multi junction cells later on in the podcast. But, yeah. but that's but that's an that's in a lab,
0: which means it's not it's not sunlight that you're doing. You're bombarding that with specific kinds of light, light. to check on its on its efficiency levels. When you get into the field sometimes literally in the field, it's much lower.
1: In A field,
0: not in, B field. In B. A, well, you know, as in far as I, in my mind, there's there's one field and everything else is just a, a pathetic copy. Are I'll we talking the about story. a field of dreams? What's I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. What I the... built it. They came. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So then, uh, yeah, the, the, so we're talking about really low efficiencies when it comes to how much energy is hitting it versus how much you are actually gathering. On top of that, you have to talk about the actual financial cost of solar cells.
1: All right. They're traditionally pretty expensive. And I think that you and I both managed to compile completely different figures because there's there's a few different ways that people talk about the cost of solar panels. You've got the pure manufacturing before they go into use. And then you've got the installation costs right. and then you've got
0: maintenance costs, maintenance costs. Yeah, there's there are a lot of different costs associated with it. Uh, I was going from a report that MIT created about uh, some improvements that people at MIT had made to solar panels. In that report, they said that solar panels cost about 75 cents per watt of energy uh, and that in order to be. Uh, to be competitive against fossil fuels, it need to be closer to 50 cents per watt. Now, that's just one method of figuring out the, the expense. And, uh, and in fact, the report did not say, like, what, which factors they took into account, whether that also includes installation in there and maintenance as well, or if that was purely from a manufacturing standpoint. The point being that creating silicon based solar panels is not cheap it's getting less expensive over time we're seeing improvements uh, definitely
1: so some numbers that i was saying we're talking about the pure manufacturing as of 2009 being over a dollar per watt um as of 2012 maybe 50 cents per watt yeah so then you've got a, a dramatic moving, drop and moving moving towards 2017 to something like 36 cents per watt
0: right and Uh, We're also going to talk about some alternatives that might get that even lower. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing we're seeing the cost of solar panels drop year over year. And that's uh, that's because of a lot of different factors. One is that the the materials are getting less expensive. We're getting better at making them. We're getting better at making them with cheaper materials.
1: We're getting better at installing them. I mean, it. It's become more business as usual, and so more companies are more used to installing these for people. Therefore, you know, we have people with expertise in the field now that we didn't have five years ago because it was really new.
0: And the manufacturing processes have become... Uh, uh, more streamlined over time. It's just kind of the same of what we saw with the computer industry and, and mm-hmm. microprocessors. Uh, initially, when you, when a new microprocessor hits the market, it tends to be really expensive. And part of that is because the manufacturing cost to create something brand new that has a brand new architecture, it's using super, uh, sophisticated electronics that, you know, to pay off for that, you have to have a pretty high price on your product. Mm -hmm. But as you get more money, you can invest more in the manufacturing process, make things more streamlined. You increase efficiency on the back end. That means that that you have lower costs. So then you can actually lower the cost of the final product. Right. Same thing we're seeing in the solar panel industry.
1: Yeah. And I did want to put in that those numbers, if if you have yourself installed any kind of solar panels, you are saying a dollar per watt, I wish. Um, And that's because for private use, installation costs will cost anywhere from like 3 to 6 bucks. Yeah. these days and per watt. Per watt. Yeah. Right. And and that's um that's a huge improvement over the 8 to 10 that it was a few years back, but
0: In fact, I I remember seeing one report and it was based out of the UK, which is already kind of interesting cuz the UK is not necessarily the ideal spot to have solar panels. They don't have as much Uh, It's a little bit cloudier in general. They can can get a lot a lot of cloud cover. Just Mm -hmm. that's the climate in that region of the world. But the report found that after about seven years of use, the first seven years, you would essentially be offsetting that cost of installation. After the seven years, you would essentially have recaptured those costs. And apart from maintenance fees for whatever purposes you would need, your energy production at that point forward would be free. So you would then, you know, be be at a surplus Which is fantastic, and same thing is generally true throughout the world. Um, And as we see these costs go down, both installation, manufacturing, well, both all of the costs, installation, manufacturing, and maintenance going down, then that will mean you don't have to wait as long for this investment to pay off.
1: Right. Uh, Part of this is dependent on the market. Currently, there is more supply than there is demand for photovoltaics, and that's only because it has been so expensive. And so I I think that as this price comes down, it's going to be interesting to see how the market adjusts and whether we're going to see a a, a flattening, a plateau of the prices, or or what's going to go on. And, And also, I mean, this also has to do with, rare and toxic materials, which, you know, rare earth metals are a
0: huge component in, huge solar, component panels. in and, and solar panels. And China is the chief producer of rare earth metals. We've talked about that in a previous episode of Tech Stuff as well. Uh, it,
1: about e-waste, right?
0: Yeah. Well, e-waste, yes, that was one of it. Uh, yeah. In particular, it was e-waste. But rare earth metals, and I think we have a specific episode just about rare earth metals oh, because... Cool. We we wanted to explain what what they were, why they're important, and why is it that China is the main producer? And the main reason that China is the main producer is because it's super cheap to get it from China because China does not. The, I'm sure. General, I'm sure
1: they have fewer. The the problem with rare earth metals is that they all contain certain radioactive elements, and also getting them out can um, can release a lot of toxic
0: stuff. And there, and in general, if you're doing that, you tend to incur lots of expenses, except in China where they don't care as much.
1: Yeah, if you have fewer regulations, then it's a lot cheaper, but a lot more dangerous for the people who are doing it and yeah. for the environment.
0: Because as it turns out, there are other places on Earth that are rich relatively speaking, in rare earth metals. Well, but the, it's the term it's, rare
1: earth metals doesn't mean that there are very few of them in the earth. It generally means that there are very few of them concentrated in a single
0: area. Right, yeah. So the mining process is very different than, you know, striking a vein of, say, iron yeah. and then being able to mine it. So, and of course, that's going to play into the other podcast that we're going to record next, but has already published, I believe. So if you've listened to our Minecraft <laughs> episode, just know that we haven't recorded it yet. You're a time traveler. Yeah, you're, you've actually traveled i I I don't even know where you are now. Hey guys, it's Jonathan from 2020, just breaking in here to say we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So we've got efficiency, we've got cost, we have the fact that there's this, these rare materials, toxicity, Those that's another challenge. Uh, and another one is just the, and we talked about this briefly with the UK, is just the, how, how practical is it? Is it practical depending upon where you are in the world? Because if you are someplace that does not get a lot of sun exposure, then you're not going to reap the benefits of solar power. Right, however, so, if
1: you live pretty near, say, the Mojave Desert, you're in a decently good spot. Right,
0: exactly. And, you know, I've we live in Atlanta and I've seen homes in Atlanta that have solar panels. In fact, there's some that are very close to where I live that have solar panels installed. Uh, And it's something that I've thought about, too. But it's another one of those things where I would really need to to have a kind of study done about how much sun does my home really get? Would I would I be doing would I be getting a good return on my investment, Uh, meaning that if, if it's going to be one of those things where I'm only barely offsetting my energy costs, I might be doing more harm than good by adding solar panels. Especially, you know, when you figure in maintenance fees and all that kind of stuff in the, in the process. So, uh, you know, your mileage will vary depending upon how much sun you get. So those are the basic challenges. Now, what's great is about solar panels is that we see lots of different companies and engineers and scientists looking to address these challenges in different ways. So people are coming at this problem from all different directions, not just from solar panels, but from huge collections of solar panels.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh, speaking of the Mojave Desert. Actually, there is a large solar thermal farm being built uh, in California, right near the Nevada border called Ivanpah. I didn't look up the pronunciation. We're going to go with that. <laughs> all right. Um, But
0: <laughs> so it's like Ivanhoe. But with a paw at the end. Yes. Um,
1: It's on some 4,000 acres, which is about 16 square kilometers, which is something like six square miles for anyone else who doesn't know what on Earth an acre is. Um, (laughs)
0: What's what's that in hectares? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding.
1: Um, And so solar thermal farms, as opposed to classic solar farms, which Mm -hmm. are just large collections of these photovoltaic plates, use mirrors, a.k.a. heliostats, if you want to use the technical science term for it, um, to concentrate sunlight into a tower, which then boils water to create steam to turn a turbine to right. create power. Or yeah. not create power, I'm sorry. Generate power. Generate sure. energy, yeah. Um And this, this particular Ivanpah is using some 170,000 mirrors, in fact, to concentrate the sunlight onto three large, like, 450 foot aka 137 meter towers Wow and yeah it's it's pretty impressive they it's set to turn on this year they the first tower just went through a power power cycle test and mm-hmm. they green lit it they said good to go so that's exciting as it's September 2013 we are recording this on October something something 17th 17th there you yeah. go
0: dates, numbers. Only cause it was right there on my screen. That's so. The I, only reason I knew. I guess it's online too. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, but, but co-location, this is, this is an idea that we see in lots of different power uh, strategies where almost in almost everything we talk about when it comes to power. In fact, I'll go so far as to say in every form of power we're talking about, heat is one of those factors that if you can harness the heat, as well as whatever it is you're doing to generate the power in the first place, then you can end up generating more power that way than you would if you just let that heat dissipate into the atmosphere.
1: Sure, and these these thermal farms are a little bit a little bit tricky in that you have to have a really good location for them. I mean, it's you, you, there aren't that many sixteen square kilometer areas. Just kind of hanging out where people are willing to let you completely disrupt an ecosystem in order to put down a whole bunch of mirrors and a whole bunch of really hot water towers right um in order to generate energy, deserts are pretty good candidates uh although part of the two point two billion dollar cost of building this thing out was a very expensive um move of a threatened species of desert tortoise from this area to to a safe place where right. they wouldn't be boiled um
0: yeah, yeah, I can see where that would be a, a concern. I mean, you know, it's it, we often will think about things like desert environments as being practically lifeless, devoid of
1: all life. But, but no, it's not, not like, it's not like it's not like Tatooine or Mars or Mars.
0: Yeah, now solar solar farms on Mars, the so Mars will not be hurting for that, although. They, you don't know.
1: You don't know about the Martians.
0: Well, also, I don't know about the storms. Oh, so the storms could you. also really block a lot of the solar. Now that I think about it, huh, you know, maybe I shouldn't make such sweeping statements. But uh, you know, there are, of course, there are already solar panels on Mars. Yes, that's thanks thanks to a couple of rovers out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, this this particular one is is set to deliver some 377 net megawatts of power in, uh, as opposed to the 392 it's capable of total. Uh, you're you're always going to lose some in a system like this, right? Right, and which is about the same as a medium-sized fossil fuel plant-ish nice. kind of sorta, and yeah, the the two of the towers are going to be selling to PG and E, and the third is going to be selling to Southern California Edison, and supposedly the whole system is going to power some uh, 140,000 homes.
0: Right. So here we're looking at a system that, while it does have a, a huge initial cost uh they are going to be able to start selling to customers i don't know how long it will take them to recapture the cost of building that place i mean that's going to take a while you're talking 2.2 $2. $2 billion dollars that's no chump change right
1: uh, yeah part, they had they had investments from people like google and uh they were working partially on a federal government loan
0: so some of that some, some of, of that is offset some of it's offset sure and then uh but on top of that you're looking at A much lower environmental impact in the long run compared to the carbon dioxide emissions you would get from, uh, from a fossil fuel plant.
1: Oh, right. And there has been some research on that. The Brookhaven National Laboratory released a study saying that, um, regardless of the technology, of the specific technology being used in photovoltaics, they, they generate fewer harmful gas emissions, like some 89% fewer, um, than anything fossil fuel related. So.
0: Mm. Well, and, Related to this is the concept of solar trackers. This is something else that you can find at solar farms where, uh, in, in this case, I'm talking about your more traditional solar panels that are using photons to convert it to electricity, as opposed to this uh, approach where you're using the solar the solar energy to heat water. Uh, but solar trackers are kind of what they sound like. These are devices that can track the movement of the sun, although, of course, we know the sun's movement is... Relative to the earth and there is spin and all that stuff. But at any rate, we're just going to go with the movement of the sun across the horizon. There you go. Across the sky, the pathway across the sky. So you've got these solar panels. Not all the solar panels are going to be angled at a way where they're going to capture uh, as much sunlight as possible throughout any particular part of the day. So what do you do? Well, you could mount the solar panels on some sort of pivoting system that would change throughout the day, or you create solar trackers that are enormous mirrors. Uh, mounted on uh, some form of of uh, heliostats <laughs> essentially you're looking at something that can that can tilt So that it will direct sunlight back down to the panels, right? So the panels are stationary. They don't move throughout the day. But the trackers, these enormous mirrors that can move in relation to the way the sun's path takes it across the sky, can continuously adjust so that the sunlight is directed back to the solar panels, thus maximizing the number of hours when you can collect sunlight. Because that's another one of those challenges that we didn't really mention. Sometimes the sun's not out. It oh, might be right. cloudy or, or it might be, you know, night
1: or sometimes it's in a different place. Uh, yeah. You know, if you if you cover, say, the west wall of your house with solar panels, which is a terrible plan overall. Don't do that. Yeah. But um, that's the the least efficient way of going about anything. Yeah. You're, you're only going to get the western facing sun. Yeah. And even evening. then,
0: like at different times of the year, you're not going to get as an even dr- coverage. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah the the. There'll be sometimes the year where you'll get more uh, or you'll get longer hours, not longer hours, but longer time periods where the hours will stay the same, but you'll get longer you periods time of time. Are a traveler, too? Yeah, well, you know, back in my day, hours used to be 63 minutes long. But, you know, the you kids uh, No, you get you'll have longer times when you'll be able to collect uh, sunlight. So these are just little strategies to try and maximize that as much as possible so that uh, even if the solar panel efficiency is low, if you can maximize the amount of time that you they receive sunlight, you still generate more power. We have more to say about solar panels after this quick break. All right, so... Let's talk a little bit about improving solar panels. Um, not just making solar farms more efficient, but the actual panels themselves. Now. Right. Cause there's a lot
1: of interesting material science and even quantum science that's going on in this.
0: Yeah. You know, we can, we can always confuse, fuse things by adding the word quantum in there. So, uh, one of them is, one of the things we can do is look at introducing some sort of film to put upon solar panels so that it reflects less light. That's one of the problems with solar panels is that some some photons when they hit the panel will just bounce right off again. Oh,
1: silicon specifically is very shiny and yeah. so so you're going to lose more photons than you really want to in this process of reflection.
0: Right. So one way to increase efficiency is to make sure those photons don't get away. And there are different ways of doing this, and one of them is to uh, copy a certain insect. The moth.
1: The moth, right. I had heard about
0: this. Yeah, so moth eyes. Now, let's talk a little bit about moth eyes. If you were to get a microscope and look at a moth's eye, you know, you borrowed it from the moth. Maybe the moth has flown off with a little eye patch and hook and it's gone to be a piratical moth. Meanwhile, you're looking at the moth's eye. You're going to see there are these little microstructures. And those microstructures in the eye are... Uh, they have a specific purpose. They reflect light back to the, the back of the moth's eye so that the moth can perceive more light.
1: Mm-hmm. And a lot of animals have this, but moth eyes in particular are extremely efficient at doing so.
0: Yeah. And if, if, if you've
1: ever seen like a like a photograph of a cat and the eyes are glowing at you, that's because of a reflective layer at the back of the eye, which is which is reflecting light back into the retina.
0: Yeah. Now, in this case, we can really say that there are probably two big reasons for moths to have this particular micro. Structure In their eyes, one is so that they see more light, they can perceive more light because they're flying around often at night. And the other is that they reflect less light so that potential predators can't see them and gobble them up. So it's a survival mechanism on two fronts. How we can take advantage of it is by uh, making kind of a model of those same microstructures. Designed in such a way so that when light hits it, more of the light gets reflected down to the surface of the solar panel, the, the actual collection surface, and fewer photons bounce off and we thus increase efficiency. Now, uh, there's a fellow named Noboru Yamada who came up with this idea along with a, a team of scientists. Uh, he is a scientist at uh, Nagaoko University of Technology in Japan, and I'm sure I butchered all of that. <laughs> N-
1: Nagoya, but other than that, yes, you, yes, got, well, it. you okay. got it. well,
0: okay, fair enough. Uh, so he, what he did was he took some molds made out of anodic porous alumina to create the microstructures that were similar to those of you would find in a moth's eyes, and uh, put that into acrylic resin. So uh, if you're wondering what that actually means, anodic is another. You know, anode, we're talking about the positively charged electrode in a, in a system. Porous, of course, just means that it's got little bitty holes in Bunch it. Bunch of holes, yeah. yeah. Or, or spaces within it. And alumina is actually a type of aluminum oxide, which is an electrical insulator, but also has a high thermal conductivity. So it conducts heat really well, but it insulates electricity. Um, they found that this film could boost the efficiency of solar panels by around 5%. Wow. So, which
1: again sounds really small until you consider that that a 5 to 25% efficiency rate is the
0: that's the average is the normal thing. So let's say so. let's say that we have it on close to the high end so somewhere around 20%, which is pretty high. I mean especially if you're talking about commercial solar panels that's really high. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to apply this film and get that 5% Increase, knowing that it's up to 5%. You're not always going to get a 5% improvement either. But that's a 25% efficiency at that point. And when you multiply that across an entire array of solar panels, like I said, that equals a lot more electricity. So while it might be tiny in comparison to one solar cell, when you're talking about an array of solar panels, it makes a huge difference. So uh, that's one way that we've seen solar panels get some improvements. Now, this is just a film you would put over a solar panel. It doesn't replace the panel itself. We have some other technologies that would actually either uh, improve solar panel silicon or replace it. So, for example, University of New South Wales. So New South Wales is in uh, Australia. Uh, and uh, the what? Now she's shaking her head at me for, for just saying Australia. That, that, was a, that was a terrible accent. My Australian accent is amazing. It's almost as good as my New Zealand accent, which is the same accent. I can't wait for all of our friends down under to yell at me. Uh, but I won't understand them, so it's okay. So the University of New South Wales, some engineers, some scientists, uh, decided to take a look at using hydrogen atoms to try and correct deficiencies in silicon crystals. Now, deficiencies in silicon would mean that normally it would decrease the efficiency of a solar panel. So not you know you, when you're doping silicon you want it in a very specific way so that you can maximize its efficiency. But occasionally through manufacturing processes or whatever mistakes happen. You'll get a deficiency and it'll decrease that the efficiency of that particular solar panel and as a result you'll get less energy out of it than you had anticipated they found that by using hydrogen atoms and inserting them into silicon crystals the hydrogen atoms would bond with the deficiencies inside the silicon and negate them and essentially help uh move the photons toward the sil- the silicon that would actually help transfer that into electric electric energy so or electricity as we sometimes call it so uh it was it was one of those uh, improvements that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have mega super powerful new silicon based uh, solar panels again
1: it's going to be a small improvement
0: right instead what it means is that we could actually use cheaper silicon so by using cheaper silicon we bring down the price of the solar panels oh, in cool. general uh-huh. so yeah you can the, the problem with using cheaper silicon normally is that You get more defects and
1: less efficiency. But
0: if you have the hydrogen to correct those defects, then you can ignore that effectively.
1: And it would be cheaper than using the higher quality silicon. Exactly.
0: So lower prices, that means higher adoption rates and uh, better use for solar power all around.
1: Some researchers have also been using layering of different materials with different band gaps. This is that multi-junction solar cell thing that I was talking about earlier to improve the efficiency of solar cells overall. And the way that these work is the, the top layers will absorb high energy photons and let low energy photons slip through to be absorbed by lower layers. Which. Ah, interesting. And, and so, uh, originally this came out of like NASA and space tech. But it's pretty promising simulations as of 2013 achieved 51.8 percent efficiency. That
0: would be incredible, which
1: even in a laboratory is amazing. Yeah. Um, so
0: the, the interesting thing here is that and, and we talked about this in our older podcast about how if you go with the the lower energy band gaps, you, you can cast that net, but the problem with going with low energy band gaps is that you get a very low voltage out of it. So the work you can do with the electricity you generate is not necessarily better than what you would if you were just going for high energy but by doing this multi tier approach you can capture all of it which is a great idea
1: or or a lot or, more of a it a lot more
0: of it At obviously rate, not right. all of it if you're talking about 51% efficiency <laughs> in a simulation but still
1: right they're they're working on matching current among the different subcells cells uh, because if if one subcell is 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 lacking then it's going to throw off the entire device within this multi junction cell. Gotcha. Capacity, so it's so.
0: kind of one of those weakest link type things.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so people are people are working on it. Um the other thing that I'm really excited about is Completely out there. This is quantum photovoltaics, also called quantum dot solar Uh, cells.
0: Quantum dots. This takes me back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so this is, this is using a matrix of finely tuned nanocrystals instead of the typical silicon crystals that you're, that you're used to. And, um, What's cool about these nanocrystals is that they can be tuned to specific segments of the light spectrum um, of, of of these band gaps that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So that cells can capture more of the available light based on how different bits of it are tuned. Gotcha. And the really exciting part of this is that photons can hypothetically excite as many as seven electrons per,
0: per photon. Per photon. Wow. So, so yeah, that's that's where you're getting that crazy boost in efficiency.
1: Right, right. In 2012, researchers at the University of Buffalo found that they could uh, reach a 45% efficiency. That's um, great. And also because you've got fun quantum physics mucking up this business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: how I call it. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, recently, an international team discovered that that these quantum dots can self-assemble into nanowires that will more efficiently. Carry that current.
0: Wow! So into, into their
1: into their own pathways, like like Jonathan was talking about earlier. With when you create a pathway, you're allowing the electron flow to happen.
0: Right, right. Because uh, if you didn't have that barrier there to block the flow, then the electrons would just flow automatically from. The more negative side toward the more positive oh, side. Right. So you
1: have to create a barrier and then you have to create a path, and, yeah. and all of this takes work on your part, but hypothetically this quantum stuff can can do it for you.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I've got one other alternative to silicon based panels, and it may end up not being an alternative, but rather an augmentation. But uh that's for Perovskites. I have no idea if that's the right way to say it. But this is a material that apparently the Earth is just lousy with, perovskites. This is incredibly plentiful, incredibly cheap material that may, in fact, be a valid alternative to silicon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And
1: you might have heard about this, talked about, I believe these are also called thin film cells, correct? mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah, so this is a... It's a a material that's very good at absorbing light. And it's a semiconductor, like silicon. It can transport electric charge when a photon hits it, just like silicon. Um, and unlike silicon, which those panels can be as thin as around 180 micrometers thick. A micrometer is one millionth of a meter. Um, that sounds pretty thin, but a, but one made out of this other material can be less than one micrometer thick. So, the manufacturing process could be much simpler. It ends up being you, you need less of this material than you would of silicon. Uh, the, the material she- stuff is already cheaper.
1: The sheets that you wind up with are more applicable to two different objects. They can be thin and bendy and and.
0: Right. Which means that you're not stuck with that one form factor that you would be with a, a solar panel where you have a more rigid, thicker material and. Uh, which, you know, depending upon what you're trying to coat, could be a, a big deal. It's sort of this pigmented stuff. And uh, it's, like I said, very cheap and could eventually lead to solar panels that cost 10 to 20 cents per watt. Now, remember, we're talking now around between 50 cents and a dollar per watt, depending upon how you define it. So this would be significantly less expensive. And in fact, more than comparable to fossil fuels on a per watt basis, knowing that this is not really apples to apples in the first place. Right. right. Because, you know, yeah. But but anyway, uh, they right now are only an efficiency of around 15 percent. Scientists think that they might be able to get get it to about 20 or 25 percent efficiency, so much lower than some of these other ones we're talking about. But if the cost is much lower, then it may make sense if it's cheaper to to churn these out than silicon ones, even if the silicon ones are better, it may make more financial sense to go with this material.
1: It's cheaper in the long run kind of of idea.
0: Now, um, right now, there's an effort to commercialize the product through a company called Oxford Photovoltaics, which has so far raised more than four million dollars in capital. And uh, there's also a chance because we're still seeing silicon based solar panels, we're seeing those prices go down over time. There is a chance that this won't make a big impact simply because if silicon ends up being as cheap or only a little more expensive than this alternative solar panel, people are going to say, well, why would I sacrifice performance? For just a tiny savings. Uh, plus you're talking about not just people, but entire companies that would have to create their own manufacturing processes to build these, mm-hmm. these panels. It would require a big change in infrastructure mm-hmm. and it may not be worth that investment to change the infrastructure.
1: Although for certain purposes, I, again, when you're talking about the, the rigidity of the final product, sure. you might wind up, you yeah. know, finding, it, finding benefit in using something that's a little bit less, um,
0: Yeah. If you you have a a round building, for example, and you want to have part of that building like a column where there's not any windows facing out to be a solar gathering column. uh, And you you don't want
1: to place a million tiny panels on it.
0: Right. This might be a way of doing that. Uh, It's also been discussed as a way to augment silicon uh, based solar panels where you would use the pigment to help reduce the reflectivity of the panels. Just like we were talking about with the moth eyes, it would mean that more photons would be reflected down into the solar panel as opposed to bouncing off and going willy nilly uh, to not do anyone any good. Those lazy bums. So those are those are some other alternatives. Do you have any others you wanted to talk about before we talk about some of the crazy fun stuff? That's all I've got. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, You've probably tried Hulu.com. Now with Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite shows anytime, anywhere. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit TV shows and a selection of acclaimed movies on your television or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. And it all streams in HD for the best viewing experience. With Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite current TV shows like Community, South Park, and Parks and Recreation. You can also check out exclusive content, including Hulu originals like The Awesome, starring SNL Seth Meyers, and Moon Boy, starring Chris O'Dowd from Bridesmaids. Hulu Plus also offers a great selection of acclaimed films. For only $7.99 a month, you can stream as many TV shows and movies as you want, wherever you want. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus free for two weeks when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech. That's a special offer for our list Make sure you use HuluPlus.com forward slash tech so you get the extended free trial and they know we sent you. Go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech now. And uh, there are a ton of shows on there that are some of my favorites. Uh, The IT crowd is way up there. So uh, you'll hear lots of IT crowd references in our episodes if you listen hard enough. But in order to get the references, you need to watch the show first. So go check it out. All right, this isn't that crazy fun, but I did run across an article about how solar panels are coming to Ikea. Yeah,
1: I saw that. If,
0: I... if you're in the U.K. The, that was where I got the U.K. information. Curses! <laughs> right? the, Lauren just shook her fist for those who were, those who were curious. <laughs> those,
1: those who are listening in on, say, the radio. I, I shook my not... fist
0: in the other solar panel episode, and I announced it, too, because... <laughs> So there's some things that just carry over. It doesn't matter I'm, I'm who's glad, sitting behind I'm the microphone. I'm glad this is cyclical. Yes. That's great. So IKEA is looking at uh, carrying solar panels to for customers to purchase solar solar panel kits,
1: like so, flat pack IKEA style yep. solar panel kits. You
0: go in, you buy a flat pack of uh, IKEA. I'm sure they'll have some sort of Swedish name that'll be uh, hilarious, and um, you'll you know. You, in the UK, you can purchase these and then go and have them installed at your home. uh it- it sounds like if it's a successful program that it will roll out to other parts of the world, the United States included. Uh, and it's you know, they're no stranger to solar power. In fact, they use solar panels in several of their locations. Forty of their U.S. locations have solar panels to that help provide. offset
1: energy. Costs. Yeah, they
0: essentially are powering their their buildings with solar energy as much as they possibly can. So, uh you know, now they're looking at instead of just using it on a corporate level to actually offer it as a product. So it'll be interesting to see if this ends up being successful, because then we'll see it rolled out to other Right, right, whether,
1: whether it's really is, you know, in grand IKEA style, cheaper and easier to install.
0: Yeah, because you can, as a customer right now, I mean, if, if you're a consumer, you can go out and buy solar panels and have them installed in your home. There are hardware stores like Lowe's that that sell solar panels. It's not like Ikea is the first business to come out and say we're finally making solar panels available to customers.
1: But it's probably the first place that you can get Swedish meatballs and also solar panels.
0: Yeah, uh, at least from a, a, a reliable source. There is a guy outside of my local Lowe's who sells what he calls Swedish meatballs, but I just don't trust him. Uh, So that was one of the wacky things I wanted to talk about. But the other one is my favorite, which is the Robo Raven. Robo Raven? Yes. So (laughs) a pair of University of Maryland professors, S.K. Gupta and Hugh Bruck, came up with, uh, along with their students, the Robo Raven, which is a robotic bird. It's a little robot that can fly. And uh, flying takes up a lot of energy. It takes up a lot of energy for birds, and it takes up a lot of energy for robots, as it turns out. And uh, so they were trying to think of ways to extend a robot's flying life so that it would be useful. Otherwise, you know, your typical robotic flying device is going to have a fairly small range and have batteries to ra-
1: are going to run down Yeah, a fuel source of any. So, whatever, yeah, it's whatever kind. it's yeah.
0: roaming range is going to be about half of what you would want uh, just based on the battery life alone, because if you have it go all the way out to its battery life, then you have to go to retrieve it. You want it to be able to come back, right? So they were thinking, well, how could we build something that could recharge its batteries uh, while it's out in the field, sometimes literally, and um, uh, and then make its way back home? And so they decided to use a special material where they were essentially weaving in solar panels along the wings of this robo-raven. So the idea is that this little... uh this little device, this uh can the micro air vehicle can fly out uh it would land when its power would get low and it would recharge its battery. Now they point out that the solar panels are nowhere near efficient enough to power the bird's flight in Mid-flight. flight. Yeah. Right. It would have to land and recharge batteries and then fly. Because I think it would generate something like gather like 3.6 watts and it needs 30 watts to fly. And like, it just, it it cannot, you know, it would just, it would just crash if you were to try and fly it beyond its battery life. So I thought that was interesting. Yes. Now the Robo Raven, uh, that plays into the podcast we did not that long ago about drones. Uh, in this case, the Robo Raven's just, it's a robotic bird. It's not designed to be anything specific apart from a robotic bird. But you could easily see this kind of technology being used in things like environmental, uh, uh, uh monitors, you know, looking for things like changes in climate, changes in environment, exploration of, of areas that might be difficult to get to on foot or otherwise, uh, or, you know, surveillance. You know, there's that fun version, too, where the birds are spying on you and they're robots.
1: I don't want that. I don't want bird-shaped robots spying on me. I want that even less than I want other robots spying on me, in fact. I'm not sure why I have this strong emotion, but that sounds like I've... I mean, I don't know, maybe I've just watched too much Alfred Hitchcock or something. I recommend
0: you don't turn around, then. I'm just... Your back is to the window. Yeah,
1: we have an exciting new window in the podcast room. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> which, which, I can look out of and Lauren cannot because of the way we sit. I, I refuse to have my back to the window. All right. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of our, our update on solar panel technology. You know, it's going to constantly be this quest to eke out as much efficiency as possible to make solar panels a, a true competitor when it comes to generate electricity. Uh, and you also have to offset the, 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 The downsides to solar panels. So, for example, if you were to try and go off the grid and just use solar panels for your home, you would also need some sort of energy storage device for those times when the sun's not out and you would be able to tap into that. So batteries essentially is what I'm talking about though you could have your own on-site generator that runs on something else but sure. you're talking about some other or form maybe, of fuel maybe
1: pair it with a with a wind generator or something like that or not yeah, wind generator
0: but, but a wind harvesting wind driven yeah that would if you if you live in a very sunny windy place that would work out well for you uh, if you don't then uh you know that would probably probably be marginally <laughs> an improvement over just uh, solar panels alone I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. If you have any suggestions for future topics we should cover on the show, let me know. Send me a message on Twitter. The handle is HSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.